What is HyFlex and how does this modality work? Wait, first off, what is course design? And how do we design classes that encourage intrinsic engagement? How do you increase flexibility and honor student agency? Welcome to a Safe Topics mini-series where Sean and Curry talk about why we teach and how we teach. Curry, as we continue to talk about high flex and this adventure I'm about to embark on, we always have to kind of discuss assessment and what that looks like in our classes. Uh, it's going to look a little bit different in the high flex format, I think, than it does in these other modalities that we're used to. But let's start with kind of assessment in more of a general sense. And how are you thinking about assessment before you're even before the first day of class while you're still in the design process and maybe it's the development process of looking at courses that you've already taught um, carrying over lessons your own personal lessons and notes from semester to semester what what does assessment look like in in your process so i think what comes to mind first is i actually think about engagement before or as I'm thinking about assessment, right? And it's kind of that backwards design approach. So where do I want them to end up? How are we gonna get there, right? What are those outcomes, you know? And then, but then what are we engaging with to practice those skills to do those outcomes? So right. how students are gonna engage in, in these different course modalities is, is really different, right? So I guess for number one, in a on-site face-to-face classroom setting, the way we're engaging and the way I can assess that engagement is I'm just looking at eyeballs, right? Like, so, or I'm looking at energy in the room or I'm looking at the, the loudness of the, the space, you know, like, like, and so I can just do that by surveying. Also getting students into the classroom for an onsite class is pretty like normalized, like students show up to class. I know we can have a conversation about participation later and like, how do we get students to participate and how do we measure participation, whatever. But at this point, I think I've adopted this. As long as I can make the class compelling, like students always get something out of a class session, they show up and we can engage it and I can assess how things are going in kind of informal ways. In an online modality, how to get students into a space is totally different. You know, there's there, you almost have to add on these kind of extrinsic motivators. Like it's five points just to get into the space. <laughs> You know, what we do in there can create opportunities where there's more intrinsic value or more intrinsic interest in engaging. And again, we can kind of pull that apart and nuance that later. But I, th I guess the, the bottom line answer to your question is the, the modality of face-to-face, -face, I'm more assessing assignments that are submitted. The modality of online, I'm kind of assessing everything, right? Like there's points attached to almost everything, but that's just the sort of I don't know, transactional ticket into the room that I feel we kind of assume about digital spaces that we don't necessarily assume is true of physical spaces. Does that make sense? It does, because I feel like for both, there's a hook, right? And when you're in person, the hook is typically like, is this a, a safe and fun place to be, right? And even if it's not fun, is it like really informative? Do I feel enriched, right? Am I getting the education that I'm asking for? I think those are the kind of things that keep students, if they're answering yes to those questions, then that's what's keeping them going back to the physical classroom. Yep. In the online space, it is different because you're right, like that kind of ticket in, it, it's almost like the hook is 
is uh, like you said, transactional. You know, if you go into this, you'll get some points, and these points are what is being used to 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 lure you in, so to speak. And that's not always the case, right? Because I think I can hear you know colleagues saying, "Well, if your design is good and 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 students understand what's going on in the class and it is engaging, then they'll want to keep coming back." Yeah, right. Right. But let me let me nudge that just a little because. What we're up against is Canvas, Canvas's structure, Canvas's to-do list, or whatever LMS folks are using. I, I can't even get students to know how engaging this will be if they don't know it exists. And, and oftentimes, like a, a portion of my students, they're only getting to my class through those to-do lists or those things that pop up on their calendars. And I can only put them there if I have points on them. <laughs> Right, right. It, well, it goes back to design. I think with, you know, good instructional design, it could be like they go through through the to do list, but there's some kind of um, guide there that says don't like go here first. Right. If, if you're here and you just got here uh, and you didn't do it in any kind of sequential or, or path that I have created for you to get here, click here first. And then that brings them back to the thing that you made that is supposed to entice them or, or make it a more exciting experience. Sure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And yet I feel like, so a student that has logged in with 10 minutes until the thing is due for the first time and yeah. is panicking because they just need to get the thing done. They go, Oh, I have to go here first. Okay. Next, 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 next. Now I'm at the thing that's worth points. I'm going to get that done because it's all I have time for. That's, that's, I don't mean to be cynical, but it's not the same as when we're in a classroom because when student shows up, same thing, like I'm 10 minutes late, I'm panicked, I get in there. But what we do in there is they meet people, they hear other people's voices, they're part of a community all of a sudden, it's all those other things. There is intrinsic value there that they just happen to find. It's harder, I think, for them to experience that in these very transactional spaces like Canvas. Right. I was gonna say it's not dissimilar to the to the uh, in-person experience in that the student will come in late and and say something like, "What are we doing today? Oh, what's that? That's this, you yeah. know." Right. And you're right; they do get that kind of immediate. We probably could build in ways to do that online. Like, there's a forum, there's a video, right? right. And and they're ten minutes in, and it's like, "But watch this three-minute video before you get to work on this thing that's due in seven minutes, right?" Yeah. Um, yeah. There are ways of, of trying to create that experience online, but it'll never be exact. Um, it won't be exactly the same. Yeah. So now, now back to the assessment part, because I think, you know, the points and, and I've always kind of part of my teaching philosophy is the emphasis on small wins. Right. And it's yeah. like the that, you know, there's not these huge assignments that are worth like 30, 40 percent of your grade. But then there's like the little things we do every day. Do you grade everything that is done? I mean, is everything that's done have some kind of points attached to it, some percentage attached to it? Because I don't. I mean, it, it, like sometimes we come in and they're like, uh, you know, the, the question of does this count, right? And, and, yeah. and it does count, but it's not going toward a score for your final grade. And I know what you mean. So I don't know, like, is everything in your class going to be tied to some kind of points to kind of continue to use that hook and continue to keep people engaged by that transactional, you know, um, carrot luring? Or or is it more that, you know, some things we do are just are, are, are learning for learning's sake. And, you know, these other things are, are more of what's building toward reaching our learning objectives and our outcomes 
but uh and and those are more tied to the points than than these other everyday type of things yeah it's so interesting so when i first started teaching just a like a, a straight up uh, college level composition class i had 80 percent of the points uh attached to you know outcomes like big essays so four essays 20 points each mm-hmm. um 20% of the class was for like participation stuff and 10% when i like 10 so half of that was like maybe some in class writing or like little assignments to make sure you're reading whatever it is um 10% is that, was go ahead is the spoiler that this flips it does it does <laughs> but i i just want to say this cuz i think i did this and i i really regret that i did this the 10% participation was totally bullshit. It was like, I'd get to the end of the semester and look at the people on the roster and go, yeah, they participated. Uh, they kind of participated. There wasn't anything like really measuring participation. And right. I remember hating that as a student. It's like, how am I going to get these 10% points? Anyway. Yeah. So that's where I started. Now that I'm, and this is getting us more towards like high flex, having taught online, having, now I'm thinking about how would I teach a high flex class where a student can engage with it however they want to, asynchronously, synchronously, online, or uh, in the space, I'm moving towards everything we do has some kind of points attached to it. And everything we do, I want to have a chance to give feedback. Um, And I can explain that a little more later. But but yeah, I'm moving in that direction. I don't know if that's a good direction. I imagine I'm swinging on a pendulum. I'll probably swing back. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's the same thing where where I am planning here to have a lot of the application activities during the live sessions in person on Zoom. You know, these having the points attached, the the attendance thing is a big concern, you know, for me, because I'm like, is everybody just going to end up being on Zoom by week eight? Right. Um, And am I going to be teaching alone in a classroom? Now, I don't want to tie points to like, you get more points if you come in person, uh, right? No. Like that's not fair. And that's, it yeah. doesn't even sound right. But, right. but there is something there about encouraging people to come in. There is something there about encouraging people to zoom in and, and points are one of those tools that we have to do that. And yeah. so I think just really making that part of the structure, it is, you know, in a, a I guess a thousand points is around what the course, and I always say around a thousand points because things happen during the semester. Yeah. Um, so with that, a hundred of the points are coming from these, these, uh, activities, we're going to meet like 16, 17 times. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, you know, every, every class session, there's going to be about a 10 point thing, you know, and, and then there's some class sessions where it's like midterm review or, or midterm and, and the finals week where, you know, that'll be, we won't have that in the first day, obviously. Right. So when you cut all those out, then it'll be about 10 points per class session for the application activities. But when you think about participation and you said like, how do you measure that? Right. There's a few ways you can assign different roles. Right. And you can kind of um, what, what I found really helpful is assigning roles to students so that they all have something to do when they're in a group. So there is kind of no sitting back. Right. And then with, with that, though, as part of like a, an attendance slash participation slash getting this points thing figured out, I just simply tell them, you know, one through 10, 10 is like you gave it your all today. One is like I made it here, but 
I didn't do anything. I yeah. disregarded the role and that that doesn't happen, but you know, and, and giving them that opportunity to self-assess. So they not, they not only do they know when they come to class, they're doing something that is worth 10 points. Hopefully they know they're doing something that is applying what they've learned, but also they have a little bit of agency and they can score themselves. And, you know, I ask them, I just prompt them to think deeply about it. Like I, I can't, you know, guarantee they could just write nine and, and be on their way. But if they think about it for a second and I give a moment in class for them to pause and have some silence as they think about it, then, you know, I, I do get a range from four to 10. And the ones that usually say 10 are like, I know that they were, I could look down the roster and say, oh, um, this person gave themselves a 10 today. And yeah, they were really into it. And sometimes I see somebody who gives himself a nine and I'm like, oh, well, I didn't see you say much, but maybe your form of participation, the yeah. way you're self-assessing is, is different than the way that I would look at it. Totally. I'm really glad you brought this up. And that, that's a great way to measure participation, uh, by the way. I would double down and just say self-assessment is the most important assessment my students will engage with in any class that I teach. And I mean that in, in the sense that you're doing it. So like I set them up to self-assess, uh, but I also mean their response to my feedback and assessment and how they reflect on that in terms of their own growth, right? That's, if they're not doing that, I don't know that my assessments mean much to anyone except for the institution, except for like their future institutions that they're moving towards, right? The Absolutely. Kind of the A, the B, whatever. Um, in terms of learning, self-assessment metacognitive reflection is is just it, it's it's all there is right that's that's all there is and so, yeah yeah ahead. with that you're not like you know i want i want to demystify that a little bit because yeah. it's kind of like they're grading themselves right, right. so of course right. they're going to give themselves a's right i think when you develop and that's what i'm doing right now with the high flex pilot when you develop these like basically forms right and and they're they're reading through them they're asking them to think about how they're learning that day, how this activity, and honestly, it's not even grading. So it's like two parts on this thing. There's the self-assessment that's saying, you know, how engaged were you? How prepared were you for the activity today? And, and, you know, then the accumulation of that is your one through 10 score. And then the second part is grading the activity for the day, right? And how much did it contribute to your learning? Because you could have tried your ass off on that, on that activity and, and tried to get the most out of it. But you're like, eh, it felt a little flat though. Like, you know, they're probably missing components and it didn't really connect to the concepts in the way that maybe it was intended to. Yeah. And then what they do is they, they take that sheet the, or online, it's two different sheets. And one of them is anonymous, doesn't have their name on it. Okay. And then the other one has their name on it with their self-assessment. Uh -huh. So I'm getting the anonymous real feedback of how that activity was from their perspective. And then they also have the self-assessment of their preparation and, and, yeah. their, and their execution of, you know, how they were um, a community member in the class that day. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So, and that's giving you assessment too, right? Of how things are going and that's great. I really like that. I think just in terms of like the conversation we're having right now about you and I thinking about assessment philosophies, approaches and different modalities, this is where we might seem to split because you're moving in a direction towards kind of ungrading, right? Like con yeah. in contractual or students kind of grading themselves and you honoring that actual kind of numerical measurement. Mm -hmm. And and where I'm going 
which is I still grade everything. But but I think that that, and, and I'm not sure how much time we have to get into this. I think that's an apparent difference. And, and I think the way that, so I'm grading everything, but built into my curriculum is there are, sorry, our assignments that ask students to respond to my feedback. So I give them, you know, feedback on an essay and a grade, let's say a C, they have an assignment to go back, look at my feedback and, and, and evaluate, okay, this made sense. This is helpful. This is confusing. Please clarify. Um, and then here's what I, as a writer, I'm going to work on moving forward. So they give me that kind of feedback. Then they can rewrite the essay, right? As many times as they like to get it, whatever grade they want to get, right? And so it's, I'm using points as a kind of artificial motivator, a kind of a structure for engagement. But what I'm really, really hoping for is that agency, right? That personal goal setting with access to the tools to achieve those goals um, within a community where meaning is negotiated, right? Like what an A is or what a strong topic sentence looks like is not, does not come from a textbook. That comes from us saying together, these possibilities are topic sentences. These are what we are, are you know, using in our writing, et cetera. So part of that negotiation, part of that conversation and that development process that they're engaged in together and with you, it, it, I'm hearing that as what is, you know, commonly referred to as the formative assessment, right? Like we're, we're, we're forming these things, we're, we're developing, we're going stage by stage, it's scaffolding, there's, you know, and, and we're doing that in community. And that's leading to what we call a summative assessment. So after they do that, they this is what a great topic sentence looks like. They share that. They understand that. Well, maybe we could do this or that. It, it gets its tweaks. It gets its modifications. Okay, we're there. Once we're there and now they're writing an essay, which can still be an individual process, right? We can learn to write in community and then we write individually um, and, and submit this thing individually. So there's still that part of it. Well, you know, can you talk a little bit about now we've worked through this formative pro process and I know there's more to it than what you said. Yeah. And now the summative, like what is this leading to? Right. So, OK, so I and I, I keep having in my head this sort of I sound like I'm making contradictions and I totally <laughs> am on purpose. <laughs> so I, you, you might know, be a teacher. <laughs> yes, exactly. Peter Elbow's embracing contraries. This is the sort of ethos of my my whole approach to pedagogy. <laughs> so in in my class, uh, the summative assessment, I use that strategically so I position myself as a coach. In other words, I split myself into two people. There's Curry who grades your essays, and then there's Curry who hates that Curry. He's a fucking asshole, but I know how he <laughs> thinks. So if you want to impress him and get an A, here's how we're going to get there, right? So it's yeah, <laughs> right. So the summative is just a tool, like and and, and so let me back up though, because because I think just to define these terms, formative and summative. I, I like to think about this with two analogies. There's the, the building inspector who comes twice to a, a job site. And the first time is the initial inspection. And that person says, here's what you got. Check, check, check. Here's what you don't got. Check, check, check. I'm going to be back in a month. Right. And so that's the formative. It's here's what you can work on. And then the summative is that last show up. Uh, it's all here. You pass or the, these important things are not here. You don't pass. Sorry. And then that's it. Right. That approach is very disassociative, right? That building inspector is not invested in the project. It's just their job to show up. And I think sometimes we teach like that. It's yeah. here's the curriculum. Um, I'm going to tell you what you need periodically throughout, but it's really on you to kind of step it up. Mm -hmm. The other analogy is the coach, 
right? Wait, maybe wait, maybe more so even in an asynchronous hundred percent online class. I would absolutely, argue. Okay. absolutely. Especially, okay, now go with the, go with the coach. Sorry, no, no. <laughs> But that's a good point, especially when we automate a lot of our grading processes, right? Our assessment processes in those spaces online. Yep. But the coach, the coach analogy is different because the coach is invested in winning. The coach is part of the team. They want the coach wants to see not just the whole team succeed, but every individual player succeed. So practice is that formative assessment. I saw when you ran this way or threw the ball in that way. Let's work that. Let's change this a little bit. Do this a little right, and so improves that that players skill set confidence all that good stuff in the game that's the summative i mean the game's what matters you, you do it you don't do it the game's over you get the points a certain way right but everybody practices after they play a game so that summative assessment becomes just part of the package right so that that's my approach it's i try to be more coach in the classroom less sort of building inspector in the classroom yeah and so I did something last semester that I really liked because I had never had like project-based learning. I, I, I've done a lot of that in the past, but it's always been for the courses that are not the intro to sociology course. It's like introduction to gender studies, introduction to LGBT studies. Those courses, I, I don't know. There was like always a feeling of like, we can do these project-based things and, and really get it like out to the public, like build a website, uh, uh, put on a conference, you know, do these kind of big things. And, and all of it is formative until that huge thing at the end, right? But there's very little uh, points at stake with that thing at the end, because we have been all about process. Right, right. And so, you know, but I never did it with 101, because with, with Introduction to Sociology, we're learning about how people are in the social world, right? which is so complex and, and it's a survey course, right? Yeah. We're going over all these different topics. So I feel in a way, everything is formative because the summative is going out and living in society after, after learning the language for yeah. how things are. Yeah. And with that, I'm like, the whole thing is form, formative. Uh, last semester in a 101 class, we had, we recorded a podcast episode at the end of the class and it was where we had a discussion and we could express it, um, you know, what we've learned in the way that we want to do it. And it was beautiful. I loved it. The students, um, all appreciated it and they did a great job. And so I, I, I like that kind of idea for putting more summative, uh, assessment approaches into my class, but I still look at this survey 101 course as like, there is no endpoint to this and there's no like culminating thing because that's not the way society works. And that's not the way that learning about society works. And I understand it's the same thing with writing. Like you don't write an essay and you're like all of a sudden proficient and like, that's it. Now you're a writer. It's being a writer is the, <laughs> the trials, tribu tribulations and turmoil. I know the alliteration is <laughs> ridiculous of like, the, of always, being in the process of writing, right? And even when there's a finished product, the writers end up hating that more than just like, they, they want to do more to it anyway, right? It, Absolutely. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. So the, the outcome for English 100 should just be, be comfortable with agony and be comfortable <laughs> with unfinished things. <laughs> but I say now that- you're I a think, writer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you're a writer. <laughs> and a teacher. Uh, yeah, but actually I, I so- this is making me think about how we as instructors assess. Um, and, and this is making me think about where we were in a really earlier episode, we we're talking about our course outlines of record. And, and this should be that process, right? Of right. if we realize at the end of the course, 
this like the end result should be process not product well as instructors we need to go back to our course outline and records and make sure those outcomes that are governing us are are where we want to end up right and and like the reflect the reality on the ground in terms mm -hmm. of what real teaching and real learning looks like in these courses absolutely you know and then with the other considerations in assessment we always think about like rubrics and contracts and feedback and all and and turnaround time right which is always important and i don't i am not the best at, at the timely feedback i'll admit that i know how important it is and and but i struggle with it as i know many of us do you know i i do have rubrics i'm always trying like i i strive for clarity all the time in in, in these things you know i i i it's a difficult thing to balance though because you know, you want the structure and you want freedom within the structure for students to be able to do the thing, do it their way. Yep. But the structure is so important to a lot of people, right? And the guidance is so important to a lot of people. So if I have the prompt, a video on how to do this, the rubric, and allowing still for the creativity and 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 ways that they can do it the way they want to, and and you know, saying in there in the prompt, I have allowance for that. So if you have an idea, please run it by me, and we'll we'll talk about it. I'm not going to say no to the idea. I just want to make sure that the 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 uh, demonstration of learning is is um, weaved into that idea. Yeah. Um, so, and a couple of people will take me up on that, but most just want like, what do you want? Like, what do you exactly. what are you looking for here? Exactly. And and then the 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 rubric is there and all of that, you know, uh, and then maybe even a student example. But then it's like with all of that, you could still get questions of what to do. That's fine. But then you can also kind of get like you get the student example again and you get you get like something that's following the rubric to a t which in some cases some people will be like wait that's success and to me that's like it is conformity. success it is conformity yeah. um but i do want to push for a little extra i want to push for something a little different like if you need all of this because they have other classes they have lives like they just what do i need to do here and i get yeah. that part but if you had a little bit of time to to really explore this, how do you want to do that? And I want right. to leave those opportunities open for when and if students are, um, you know, uh, up to that particular intellectual challenge. Absolutely. And I, what I'm mindful of here is we, you know, as we're talking about teaching a class that's increasing flexibility. Right. And I think anytime we increase flexibility, we have to be really thoughtful about the the doorway and the structures that that facilitate that flexibility right um so for example like we wouldn't go into a physical like traditional classroom pull all the chairs outside and then have students say come show up and we say i didn't want to assume how you wanted to engage in this class <laughs> if you'd like to pull a chair in pull a chair in. if you'd like to do something else i just want to create space for you to engage like you that's all we would do that class people would be like i don't understand <laughs> but instead if they know when they come in they know where to sit from there that structure we can build on that to oh now you can also talk to each other oh now you can move from those desks to the whiteboards and now you can do these other things and slowly we can unpack this kind of what is a classroom space and how do we interact with it so i just think that so for just last point a rubric I think it's very helpful in a highly flexible space that's online, on-site, asynchronous, synchronous, because it gives me that, okay, this is what you want me to do. But if that rubric is also inviting, you know, different ways of, of responding and engaging, 
I think we're getting closer to what, you know, uh, what you're aiming for in terms of like really everyone being able to engage, it being accessible. Yeah. And honestly, you know, with the experiences that students are coming in with uh, for in terms of their education, when we're doing things the way that we're describing and, and trying to reach the ideal of what we think would be best um, and always leaving, again, flexibility for, for those definitions, until we reach a critical mass of, of instructors and teachers, you know, thinking about these things, these ways, and then, you know, uh, executing their classes in those ways, we are swimming upstream, yeah. so, you know, swimming upstream will make us stronger, but that that's not to say that like, this is going to be easy. And I think a lot of what we do, again, the demystification of this is like, the, the thing is, it's actually way fucking harder. And, and it does take a lot more effort and, and to do something that is different. It's hard for the students too, because they're now adapting to this thing that you're saying is done this way. And they're like, that is different than what I've experienced in the past. Right. And I don't really understand how this leads to what may be a priority outcome for them is the A or the B in the course, the transfer right. to the university yep. um, and to, to bring the focus on learning is part of that community building process and that culture build. Talk about a coach, the best coaches in the world, they do one thing better than other coaches. And that's building a culture and, and, and making that culture really established and getting people to buy into that culture to the point where you're not even calling it buying in anymore. You're just a member. Yeah. And, and we could do that within our classes, but that does take a level of commitment and, and effort that, that goes beyond here's the structure, here's the points, here's the assignments, do these, you get that and the transit transactional model. So I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, implementing this assessment in here. I know it's not going to be perfect, but I, I, I want to see how different it is from these other modalities that we're used to. And more importantly, I want to see um, if the students feel like they're learning by the end. Yeah, totally. No, I'm, yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. <laughs> cool, buddy. All right. On to the next. Right on. This Safe Topics miniseries is produced and edited by Kelly Barnett, who also created the theme music. James Garcia handles our social media and outreach. Follow us on Instagram at safetopics underscore podcasts. Please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.